Welcome to Level 7. A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Episode 267, Defenders Season 1, Episode 1, The H-Word. Welcome to Welcome to Level 7. My name is Ben. Ben Avery. I'm here with Agent Samantha. Hey! And Agent Stu. Hi! And finally, (laughs) we're here to talk about Defenders. You know, we say finally, but... I was going through my, you know, Facebook timeline. Hey, look, Facebook. And today, today, a year ago, Defenders released. So we have. Wait, about are you a serious? Year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Wow. Well, so we do it. We, <laughs> we, we go about a year now this year because of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all that sort of stuff. It's going to be a little bit different. But our track record is about a year after they release. Well, I, I, I mean, it's, it's not a track record I would uh, brag about, but it's <laughs> I'm track gonna record. Call it, I'm going to say consistency. That's what I'm going to say. If we're if we're consistent, if nothing else. All right. Interesting. That, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if that helps soften the blow a little bit for me. <laughs> it took us this long to get here. Like if I wasn't acting so surprised, I could say we planned it that way. But I was really acting surprised, so that doesn't work. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I, I think it's I think it's an okay thing, Ben. That's what I'm going to say. All right, all right, <laughs> fair enough. So yeah, if you are just tuning in to Welcome to Level Seven, uh, then the other 266 episodes uh, have included all of the Runaways episodes, has included mm-hmm. all of the Cloak and Dagger episodes. All the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episodes and all the movies up until Infinity War and And all the one shots and all the the one shots and a bunch of comic stuff. Mm -hmm. But we left off after (laughs) Daredevil season two, right? When last we saw Netflix heroes. So we haven't yet talked about uh, at this point in time, Defenders. We haven't yet talked about Punisher, uh, which I haven't even (laughs) I haven't even watched it yet. Um, uh, we haven't yet, either. <laughs> we haven't yet talked about Jessica Jones or Luke Cage season two. And then we have the upcoming, um, Iron Fist season two as well. And then we have, yeah, lots Which of other Daredevil season date. three. Daredevil Iron season Fist three is a, coming too. Yeah. Iron oh, okay. Fist got a release date. Did you guys see that? No. Uh, yeah, I will. Is it, is it early a, next year? No, it's next month. Yeah. They, oh. all of the original four, we're getting a release in 2018. Okay. So that's Jessica Jones season two is Luke Cage season two, Iron Fist season two and Daredevil season three. And so we were predicting Daredevil season three would be November. I think okay. that's what we were talking about. Uh, but anyway, the, the point being um, those are things we haven't talked about yet because um, you know, with a basically weekly show, 
as far as our schedule goes and then going along with weekly shows as well. That's what brought us here to this point. But it's been a long time coming because of the year. But at the same time, it's kind of fun going back to it a year later mm-hmm. and, and, and rewatching it a year later, knowing what we know now. Although, if you listen to Welcome to Level 7, you know what's coming first. And that is we will be having our initial reactions mm. to the the episodes immediately after Samantha Stewart, myself and Daniel watched it. Now, Daniel Butcher, if you are just tuning in right now, is one of the original co-hosts of this show. And we got him to stay kind of on as a sort of co-host by having him call in after he watched episodes and and so we get him for three minutes in every Netflix episode or almost every Netflix episode, 98% of them. And so <laughs> that's what's going to happen. We're going to hear from you too. We're going to hear from me. We're going to hear from Daniel and our opinions about these episodes when we saw them originally untainted by knowledge that we have right now because all of us have seen the entire season and so we know what's coming next but we are not going to talk about anything outside of any well we're not going to talk about anything that happens after this episode of defenders so we're not going to talk about punisher season one we're not going to talk about jessica jones season two and we're not going to talk about episode two of defenders we are here to talk Mm -hmm. about episode one And if any spoiler talk comes out of our mouths about anything else, it's because we've already covered it on the podcast feed. So if we've done an episode about it, it's fair game as far as spoilers go. But if we have not, we will not talk about it. And the people you're about to hear right now are us from the distant past. And we are, like I said, unfettered by knowledge. We have, some of us hope in our voices about what's coming after these episodes. Some of us have just, we just finished watching iron fist and now we're watching defenders and we have, you know, we've been, (laughs) we've been uh, contaminated by, (laughs) by the other shows, you know, and, and so we're coming into defenders with expectations, but we haven't seen anything else past this point. And so you're about to hear those fresh, those young voices <laughs> from a distant past when we were young and much yeah. less tired. <laughs> sure. That too. That too. <laughs> so we're going to play those in just a moment. Uh, but before we do uh, anything else you guys want to mention before, yeah, before we jump into that, iron fist has a release date of September 7th. So go get ready to watch that. There's that. And there's some interesting. I, I We aren't going to spoil it. But if you watch the trailer for Iron Fist, you're going to see some things. Trailery <laughs> size things. Yeah. Trailer things that uh, kind of spoil. Here, okay. So here's the thing. Did you. Oh, I don't know if I like. I don't know if that works because I actually haven't watched the trailer. I was going to say, did you like the first one? Well, here's the second one. You like the first guys? Here's the second. But I, a lot of people didn't like Iron Fist, so I don't know if that works. Well, I feel like the trailer was meant to say, hey, 
We heard you. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I feel like. And I actually haven't watched it. So. So. Uh, but I, I'm not going to say more than that because we don't really talk too much about no. spoilers and previews and that sort of thing, except for after credits. And mm-hmm. and we have already have planned our after credit here to discuss mm-hmm. a little bit about uh, some of the news about James Gunn and then also a, a feedback about Cloak and Dagger uh, and the divine pairing and some speculation about what the divine pairing means in Cloak and Dagger. So that is what you're going to hear in post credit for now. Here it comes us from the past. And I can't remember what I said. I hope I was respectful to myself. <laughs> so let's do it. Holy cow. Holy, holy cow. Uh, yes. Defenders, Agent Sue, season one, episode one. I don't remember what the name of it is. Doesn't matter. Fantastic. Love it. We've waited so long for this as the culmination of what, 65 hours or something like that? This is fantastic. Um, I love, I, I think, I think Luke Cage is my favorite. I think, um, the Danny Rand stuff is redeemed after his, um, trying, not great, let's say, just not great season, season one. Uh, but he, the stuff that was, that was, that Danny was in in this, in this first episode, um, did a better job of telling his story than the stuff that most of his series did, um, his series one. Uh, let's see what else. It's nice to see everybody back together again, although they're not back together yet. And there's no Dana. There's only Soul. Oh, and Madame Gao. You, I always thought Madame Gao was like the top of something. No, there's one person topper than Madame Gao, and that's Dana. Not Dana. Zool. Not Zool. Sigourney Weaver. Or Ripley. Sigourney Weaver. What's her name yet? We haven't even heard her name yet. She's this white Sigourney lady. Sigourney Weaver lady. Anyway, great episode. I think I'm actually going to go to the second one because I still have half a beer. So, yeah. Peace out later. Bye. are here yay i just uh, this is samantha i just finished watching episode one wow okay i'm really excited now i i'm like out of the gate excited um not disappointed one bit ah that's so nice um so sigourney weaver we have everybody back um Sigourney Weaver is uh, now in the mix. Uh, what's up with her? What's up with her illness? What is this illness? Can she live a lot longer than it seems but still have this illness? I got a sense that she might be a lot older than a, a normal person. I could be wrong. I, I'm, But I, I just, when she started talking about the Dutch, I was like, hmm, was she there? At that time, hmm. um, and that earthquake. Cool. All right, so I'm gonna hang up and watch episode two now. Bye. Hello, agents. It's the long lost agent Daniel, and I've just gotten done watching Defenders episode one, the H word. I have a few observations and thoughts. First and foremost, in an earlier episode of Welcome to Level Seven, um. Young Stu made the comment about coffee. 
and, and discussing how people get coffee a lot in the MCU. I don't think that Stu really knows what coffee is in the MCU. I, I, did he skip health class? Maybe he didn't see the video as a young man. But I think, if anything, this episode makes it clear exactly what getting coffee is in the MCU. Um, just saying. Just saying. Let's all be adult here. All right? Don't be a hot mess. All right, other thoughts. Uh, this episode very much feels like the first issue of a comic book to me, especially the kind where you're you're bringing back past characters. Um, you've got a new writer at the helm of a title. So you're going to spend time reestablishing where everybody is, establishing for the reader slash viewer what supporting cast is going to be here, which, of course, the answer for this group is everyone is here. Um, so, again, a lot of establishment. Um, I am not, I, I'm, I, I'm not like, I'm in love, but I'm definitely intrigued. And I do find myself happiest when uh, Luke's on the screen. I, he makes me, makes me happy. And I do wonder who Sigourney Weaver is, just because she can make Madame Gow into an errand girl. And that's, that's a pretty big deal. You gotta be pretty bad if you can make Madame Gow into your errand. So, there you go. All right, this is Agent Daniel. Peace out later. Bye. What up, yo? It's me calling from the past. Calling to the future. Doing that thing, even though I don't know what that thing is going to be like when this thing actually gets posted on a thing. But I just watched episode one of season one and wanted to just Give my thoughts from the past. This is past then. And here's my thoughts. I like this episode. <laughs> I did. I liked it a lot because it was just kind of fun to peek in on everybody and see where they're doing and see where they're going. And, you know, it ends with them all, like, experiencing a, that earthquake thing. And, you know, they're going to get brought together. But for this episode spending you know, about 10 minutes each on them, maybe, maybe 12, 13. Um, and then also adding in the Sigourney Weaver stuff. And good to see them all together. Good to see them with their old friends, Foggy and whatnot. So, you know, I'm judging based on just one episode so far, but so far this one episode has been 10 or 15 minutes of one of four different series, and three of those series I really, really like, and one of those I like. So... Yeah, what can I say? Good start. Good job. We'll see where this goes. But, I mean, I'm not judging this as Defenders yet. I'm judging this as 15-minute continuations of four different series. So, there's that. Later. Stuart, Samantha, were we ever that young? I just... Yes. And we were one year younger than we are now. Apparently, yeah. Now I've got gray hair. I, I have five children now. Um, you didn't have five children a year ago? Uh, I I did then, too. Okay. I'm just saying that now I have them, you know. And, um, <laughs> those, okay. Those youthful voices, oh, full of Youth. full of vim and vigor and and hope and, yeah. You know, I think I heard a little bit of Tigger in your voice, Ben. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Maybe just a little bit of bounce. Look, look, here, here's the whole thing. I mean, the whole thing with the Winnie the Pooh thing 
It's not that you are only one thing, okay? If I ever say that you're being a Tigger, it doesn't mean you're only defined as a Tigger. It means, the, I mean, let's, let's be honest. The 100 Acre Wood is all of us. And then Tigger, Rabbit, Roo, Pooh, Piglet, they're all parts of us. But the 100 Acre Wood, that is us. That's you. It's me. We just have different sizes of the characters that you find there. And and that's our official statement on Winnie the Pooh for this episode. Uh, if you're just joining us, yeah, we do talk about a lot. There's um, a lot of backstory you're going you're gonna to yeah. maybe want to go through. Probably not. I, I don't know that I advise it. <laughs> don't but. go back and listen to episodes just to find out what we say about Winnie the Pooh. But just know we def- we we do a lot of personality talk in this in this show, and <laughs> it's educational and entertaining. Mean, we we try and keep things fresh, but then we do talk about Winnie the Pooh a lot. So I don't know what that <laughs> says about us, but it says something. We're really big Disney fans. That mm-hmm. is one, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, you know what's what's great about Winnie the Pooh in the Hundred Acre Wood is that it's a. a they all come together in, into one show, and 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 we have adventures starring all of them. Did that work as a segue? A little bit, a little bit. I didn't quite know where you're okay. going until you said, "Does it work as a segue?" And then I realized right. what you're talking about. Right. But, um, so the answer to that is no. It did not work as a segue. But it, let's segue into the episode, <laughs> shall we? It did not work as a segue <laughs> until you explained that it was a segue. So in that, <laughs> with, with that being the case, yeah, it doesn't. But um, I have a great idea for a segue. Sure. So the Hundred Acre Woods is this very safe place where we can go and play and our imaginations can run wild. We can fret about our gardens or wonder when we're going to get the next pot of honey. And unlike the Hundred Acre Woods, we have New York City, which is in a whole lot of trouble right now. And who's going to rescue them? Winnie the Pooh. Wait, no. So here's what we're going to do. I want to talk us uh, uh, talk about what the significance of Defenders is in a general sense. But then we're going to go character by character because this episode actually feels like you're watching, in some ways, a postscript to the four other series uh, of their own. And that's what's kind of neat And is is that these these episodes – that we're watching right now, yeah, they're going to be a team thing. But this episode here, it's actually, it's almost like you have uh, 15 to 20 minutes of each individual show. From the music to the style of cinematography to the the style of scripting even. uh, Mm -hmm. They're very much, you know, you're watching Danny in an Iron Fist episode you're watching jessica jones just in a continuation from her series and in a lot of ways this episode is almost to say okay don't worry (laughs) you know they're all different and they're going to stay different and and they're playing true to those series because part of what we've talked about on this show specifically on this show a lot is as how each one of those series has its very own specific identity. You know, Luke Cage is very different than um, Jessica Jones, but they all still feel connected, you know, daredevil and iron fist maybe are a little bit more martial art, you know, have the martial arts in common, but daredevil is a, um, 
you know, we've described it several different ways and Iron Fist is its own sort of entity and they're very separate, you know, they're, they're connected, but they feel very different. And this episode does a lot to remind us that, hey, it's not just like you just said, it's not just the characters are going to come into this, you know, Disney blandness, um, but the characters are going to come into their own from their own worlds into this own world. You know what I love so much about this entire series? No. Even though I'm pretending I've only seen this one episode. <laughs> what do you love? The color tinting. Yes. Mm-hmm. For every Absolutely. character. Every character gets a very distinct color. Uh, Luke has yellow. Danny has green. Jessica has blue. And Matt... Well, actually, those three specifically have color tinting. Matt... Um, is red, but it's not color tinting. It's all done with lighting. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's uh, with, dark. Yeah. All um, of Matt's scenes in this episode are darker. Very dark. And I think the reason why they do that is because if you really tint with red, either you get like this rosy pink cheerful color or you get this very dark bloody color right. and it, it's not that appealing. So, so let me ask you guys this. Have you guys uh, ever seen four individual television shows come together to have their main leads go into one television show? Star Trek? Ish. No. Ish. I mean, they do a lot of crossing. Yeah, I mean, it would be like, it would be like if Janeway, Picard and Cisco got up for, you know, the captain's, the admiral exams or something like that. It, it, that's the only way I could see that working. Well, I mean, yeah. the, Star Trek comes close with um, Nemesis. No, no, Janeway wasn't in Nemesis. Um, Janeway was no, in First it, Contact. Or, or was that Insurrection? Might have been Insurrection. I'm Regardless, not sure. it was just it was just a a a quick little cameo, right? The Doctor from Voyager was also in that as an EMH thing. Yeah. I'm talking about like the lead from this show going into another lead character in a, in a completely different show. Not from four shows for sure. I mean, you had, right. you had crossovers where you'd have um, homicide life on the street would show up in, you know, detectives would show up in law and order and you'd have things like that where it feels like, Oh, um, uh, Allie McBeal showing up in uh oh not boston legal but the other show that was on abc before that yeah it was another uh yeah uh i had his name in my head but the, the creator yeah yeah david yeah. E. kelly yeah i mean that was kind of the same thing uh and you'd have you know angel and buffy but mm-hmm. um but no there, there hasn't been a crossover like this before the difference here to me in some ways is that i almost feel like while they're saying it's a crossover in each of the series, you know, Jessica Jones was mainly about her. Iron Fist mainly about him. Luke Cage mainly about him. That kind of thing. Uh, it was created to be this way. And it almost, you could make the case that it's not really a crossover. It's just a really, really long miniseries with lots of different characters. And that's the way I yeah. look at it. That's especially, it. especially leading up into this because they're following the Avengers model, only using mm-hmm. it, you know, using shortened TV seasons to do it. So each well, thirteen hours instead of two hours. Yeah. Well, 
and 13 episodes instead of 22. Right. You know, and so it's, it's not quite a regular TV season. It's a single story arc, you know, and it, but they were planning to just build it out into, we get four seasons and then we have defenders and, Mm -hmm. you know, they were doing the same thing. They were following that model with Avengers. Uh, What was interesting was that they announced defenders in the beginning when they said, Hey, we're doing this, these four series, and then they're going to team up in defenders. And then they said, but actually this, we are going to do daredevil season two, introduce punisher. And, and so defenders got pushed back. And I think the reason you had to do daredevil season two was electro. Yeah. May, I don't know if they had to do that to introduce Electra. I think that they, when they realized that's what they were doing, decided to do that. And they said, well, yeah, it's, I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg here. But Right. I think in this instance it was the egg because I was thinking about how we were introduced to Electra or how we were introduced to Black Sky. And earlier we were, like early in season one of, Daredevil, we were told that Black Sky was a kid, not Elektra. So I'm That's wondering if maybe they had an, they just had this vague idea out there, and then they decided, well, let's make Elektra Black Sky. Yeah, and and season two of Daredevil was announced right after Daredevil was a huge hit, but mm-hmm. they from the beginning, it was these four series and then Defenders that's that's our plan that's what we're doing and then i think they called an audible and i don't think that they actually knew what was going to happen in defenders specifically until they were getting closer to it created the team put together the writers group and you know the writers room and and the directors and and all that i feel like yeah this is a situation where they made the change because they were told this is what you're going to do daredevil's a huge hit we want more. I also don't think they met. They took a misstep either. I think it was a. I think it was a good decision, <laughs> you know, to introduce Daredevil season two. Yes. Yeah. It, it, well, it definitely didn't hurt anything. No. Except I, I mean, it pushed off Defenders a little bit later. Yeah. I, I don't know that that was a bad thing though, because I think it also pushed Iron Fist a little bit later. Yep. <laughs> and I remember having conversations about Iron Fist. I don't remember if I was just a listener at that point or a host, but regardless, I remember having conversations with you. You may not have been there either, by the way, um, about <laughs> Iron Fist being this sort of mystical thing. And how are you going to make that into a television show? And on that note, I think they did OK. Um, I think it's I think the success of Iron Fist trans is more in this, in this series, in this episode specifically. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would definitely agree. So I think that's where we're going to start is let's talk about, start with Danny? yeah, let's start with Danny. Cause he starts the episode and yeah. we start in Cambodia. There's a sword fight in the sewer, but we don't see exactly who it is. And then we, uh, it's, it's two people we aren't supposed to know. Uh, Danny arrives he fights to protect the male of the two. Um, the opponent uh, wounds her quarry, and then um, he uses the iron fist on her, and she disappears. Um, he goes back to the person he was trying to protect, 
they're searching for people from the hand and the guy says iron fist go home the war you're fighting is not here it's in new york city new york city yep <laughs> get a roll so then on a plane to new york uh he has a flashback he hears screaming there's swords he hears and then he sees dead monks and he sees himself he scolds himself he says you abandoned them because of you the hand is one uh he wakes up from his dream he doesn't want to talk about the dream to colleen who is with him and um when he finally does talk about it he's basically just being really really down on himself which is kind of danny uh, that's just that's just the way it is. Uh, and so then Danny and Colleen arrive in New York City via helicopter. They talk about the city. They talk about being home. And we're going to leave them there and talk about them before we talk about the end of this episode. Uh, and I would say that we have a well-shot fighting scene in the sewers of Cambodia, which they're going to have to really, really wash their clothes and their hair a lot and well because if you're in a sewer it's really really smelly well they they they're rich so he can he can afford all the best soap i think she might just splurge in like a really nice like say avino or dove bath soap and that's it yeah Yeah, she's she's just she (laughs) likes the simple things so did you realize who they were fighting at first no no I did not. And you're not supposed to. You're not till the end right. of this episode. I don't even know that I realized it on the rewatch. Like I was looking, I was, I knew it was her, but I was still looking like, are, you're not supposed to know. You're not supposed to know. And if you say, you know, you do, I, I would be questioning you. I would not question it. Uh, I didn't know myself. But I wouldn't question someone who says they knew because how many other female martial artists are there in this series? Yeah, I mean, I guess. So process of elimination, people who are savvy and have watched TV before might be able to say, oh, he's fighting someone with martial arts and clearly female. It could be a new character, but if it's not a new character, there's only one person it could be. So I could see someone being smart enough, but I'm only smart enough to see how smart you have to be after you figure it out that, and I'm not even that smart. (laughs) So the fight scene, Mm -hmm. it was really well done. It was (laughs) really well done. It had a lot of, um, energy and action and whatnot, which, you know, was kind of atypical for iron fist. Uh, which Iron Fist was lacking sometimes, and mm-hmm. other some sometimes it wasn't lacking. But um, it's definitely a good start here. I think that there mm-hmm. are probably a lot of people thinking, "Oh, great, <laughs> we're starting here. We're starting with I them." Think, I think I was one of those people. It's like, oh no, <laughs> why, are we, why are we here? Um, and, and then they went into the scene where Danny confronts himself. That scene totally. Once that scene happened, I was like, wait a second. These people know the they've got a good handle on what the Danny character is. Because I don't know that I got the impression in Iron Fist that he really felt guilty about leaving Kunlun. You know what I mean? No, I feel like, you're right. I feel like he was just like, I left. So 
And and in this one, you get the impression that he actually has some remorse for leaving. He has some guilt for that. Well, I don't think he really regretted leaving Kundlun until he returned and realized that they were all gone and it was destroyed. And it was the way, very end of the series that that happened. Right. I think or that the was season, the very, yeah. very last scene. Okay. Well, and then in this case, it tra- it moves him forward, and that was a, and that's a good thing. That yes. is a very good thing. I feel like this this episode specifically, but this season, this series, um, generally, and, and this is a good thing for for Iron Fist. I feel like they've got a good handle on what does this person want more than anything else, and what's the worst thing that could happen to this person. And mm-hmm. I feel like there's there's a handle on here, you know, with with Danny, the setup is what does he want? He wants the hand. And what's his what's the worst thing that's happened to him is to lose his 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 home, basically, and and the lives of the people that he grew up with and lived with for so long. And, and I so I just feel like this the defenders is kind of course correction in some ways for. Uh, I, I think a lack of character development for for Danny from the first season. Um, I will still say, season one, Iron Fist, not the worst. You know, it's it's not terrible, terrible. It's good, terrible. You know, it it crosses the line a little bit, but it, it's the scales are tipped enough on the good side that I like it. Um, but here, I feel like they are diving in a little deeper and a little more sophisticated with, with Danny. He has agency in this. He has, he has a, 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 a forward momentum where I'm not sure he had a lot of that in, in iron fist. Although, uh, along with that, he's still following where they're telling him to go. You know, it's like he's chasing the hand and then he has the guy, do the thing you know, he literally does the my last words are dead at, uh, you know I'm, <laughs> tell me tell me oh you're dead the, oh sad go to new york city and now so and and his vision i thought was effective too it was bloody mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. um moody and and then he's talking to himself which you know that's that's cliche uh and they don't do much to get away from the cliche but they have him scolding himself well, and what happened why is why is that significant it's because i think this is one of the most mature oh, we're seeing him mature we're seeing right. him grow and we're seeing him confront himself to say look you did some stupid things in season one and you shouldn't have done those things in season one that you did and all the people on the internet are talking about these things that you <laughs> did in season one and you really need to listen to them and so I'm going to tell you about them. And and then he's like, you know what? You're right. And I don't want to talk about it to Colleen because, you know, season one, she was there and she saw everything. And I still want her to think good about me. But, you know, you're right, self and Internet. <laughs> Dream Danny should have just said, you know what you need to do? You need to listen to the Welcome to Sevel- Welcome to Level 7 podcast. They'll tell you what's wrong. Well, the interesting thing that Iron Fist brought to the MCU is that Danny Rand is a spoiled white rich kid. He still, I mean, in in the I guess in season one of Iron Fist, he was a kid mentally still, 
um, who he's the kind of kid that could, you know, go to New Zealand on a moment's notice and it's not a big deal for him or his family. Um, and now we get to see him getting away from that childishness, putting that childishness away and realizing that he has responsibilities now. Well, and not only was he spoiled white rich kid, he then was stunted growth kid where mm-hmm. he's he's away with all these monks and everyone. And yes, he's learning and training to be a warrior, but he's not learning and training to be able to interact with other human beings very well. And to make well, good I, choices. And so he comes out of that. And he's not ready for the big city. He is right now. now. I mean, he's, he's, he's experienced and he has people in his life who are able to help him course correct and do the right thing and do it for the right reasons. And it's, he's a slightly different character here, but not too different because you don't want to change and grow too quickly. No. Um, but what I would like to see in Iron Fist season two, if I can just jump ahead on that very, very early, um, I'd like to see flashbacks to when he was in Kunlun and then having like the monks roll their eyes. Oh, here comes this spoiled white rich kid doing his spoiled white rich kid thing. And then, you know, just going on with their meditation or their Zen garden or, you know, whatever they were doing at the moment. Yeah. Fetching water from the river. It'd also be nice to have someone watching them and being like, they're terrible parents. Those monks, they're awful they parents. Like, <laughs> they should get a they should get a parenting book. They they what need to a... expect when you're when you find a kid in the in the in the yeah. in the snow. <laughs> or, or or a nanny. You know, uh, Mary Poppins. They, they need Mary Poppins. In. There you go. And and what happens is Gondor shows up. It's really weird. No. Yes. No. <laughs> so that's um, Danny. That's where he's at right now. Is he has a mission? Are we are we jumping ahead to the end, or are we waiting to the end? We're gonna wait to the end. But they okay. they get to New York. They're there. They're in a helicopter, and they're gonna land the helicopter. And it's the greatest city because New Yorkers like to say that. Yeah. But what they say is, and this is maybe the last thing here, and this is kind of another theme in some ways of this whole thing, is they talk about New York City. It's great. It's wonderful. Great city. And it's home. Like that's your home now, Danny. This is your home. You've lost your home because of season one problems that you had. But it's now no longer Iron Fist season one. It's Defender season one. And mm-hmm. your home. This is home. And I liked that. I liked that they, you know, from from the outset, make New York a part of this show. You know, I mean, it has been for the five seasons before. Right. Absolutely. Um, but the, so the so they're continuing that. But right. New York is a part of this series. Yeah. Of, in a very important part. Right. So here's where Jessica Jones is now. She's at a bar. <laughs> Surprise. It's closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Closing time. Okay, let's go. Yep, yep. I, was, I was waiting for that. <laughs> so um, she goes and she comes across Trish. Uh, and Trish is all, well, we, we get a nice little superhero moment where she rescues Trish from getting her car towed. 
because Trish parked in a no parking zone. If it's uh, hooked up to the truck, you can't do anything about it. So Jessica pulls it off the tow truck. And well, in her defense, I think that she was she was okay to park there under certain times. But after a certain time, if they come along with the tow truck and during the no parking time and they hook it up, then, yeah, then she's parking illegally. I feel for her. I do. But then they don't just break the law. They break the tow truck. What ramifications are there going to be? She broke the law and she broke the tow truck. You, you think the tow truck driver or the cop or whoever isn't going to go back and be like, hey, guys, um, we need to really like get this lady a ticket. It was done in such a way that it looked like the tow truck broke itself, though. Like they, does, you, they couldn't see they couldn't see her pull it off. Well, this is and, also New York City, and it's covered in in closed circuit television. So. Yeah, yeah, but but now that it's not on the truck, I mean that that was True. that was the letter of the law, and so now it's right. back to a situation where she can just take the ticket, but she doesn't have to have her car get impounded. Does this action? I mean, Jessica broke the law. Yeah, she may have gotten around it by the letter of the law or whatever, but she broke the law. Does that? Taint her superhero ness. No, first of all, don't use that word. Right. I mean, this is the there scene where she's she's like, "Don't say it, <laughs> don't say it." Right. Um, but no, it, it, I, this is her. I mean, this is this is. I don't think it taints anything because I feel like it goes again. They're doing a good job. They've got the characters down. So she's not taking calls, and she's not taking jobs, and Trish talks to her about it it's like you know you uh you new york loves a winner and you won you you stopped a really awful person and you're taking that great victory and only you can turn it into a defeat it's interesting though she at the end of season one she she takes care of purple man for sure and and it's a good thing but it affects her it affects her profoundly and you see that going into defender season one. So it does, again, it picks up a nice, this is where she is as natural where she is. It, it makes sense as to where she is. It's not a, it's not a, Oh, by the way, now she's selling candy. Down, no, she's, she's logically in the next phase of her, of her growth as a character, which is drinking herself into obscurity. Well, but that's what she that's what she would do. Yeah. Yeah. That's what she wants. I mean, she does going into like what is what does this character want? She just wants to be left alone. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want the publicity, she doesn't want the attention, she doesn't want the jobs, unfortunately. Uh she gets to her uh apartment and there's a uh, a woman who wants help. A woman who's there with a girl who is very much Reminding me of Jessica Jones, by the way. <laughs> um, so you have this Michelle person and her daughter Lexi. They need her help. Her husband's missing. Jessica won't help and is all just, look, all these things you're telling me about how he's just a great guy and he's not like this. And you, you wouldn't, ex- he, he's having an affair, period. Get a divorce lawyer. You're done with him. Um, that's, that's what happens. And I know I don't want the job. 
but she's going to take the job. Why? Because she gets a phone call saying, don't take the job. So, of course, she's going to take the job. She's going to look into this. She's going to investigate. And uh, Malcolm comes in and gives her a little bit of help. Like, why don't you trace the call? And she's like, can't do that because it doesn't work that way anymore. You know, no one's that stupid. And he's like, well, maybe the guy was that stupid. And Jessica's like, well, you know, maybe you're right. And it comes from a payphone. Payphone near a place that Malcolm knows because that's a place where you can get drugs. And she goes to the apartment where John Raymond, the husband, would be, knocks on the door. Knocking on the door becomes knocking in the door when there's no answer. And she finds some very scary stuff, um, which I can't remember if we can actually see what it is in this episode. No, I don't think so. Okay. I think the reveal yeah. for that is that is at the next episode. Well, I watched it earlier this afternoon, and there is sort of it doesn't say specifically, but it looks like Play-Doh, like gray Play-Doh wrapped up in plastic, and and you know, television and movie language that means explosives. Big bada boom. Yep. Yeah, but basically. <laughs> Where's Jessica right now? She doesn't want to do what she's good at, which is to investigate things. So she's turning down jobs left and right until she's told, don't take the job. And then what's her nature? You can't tell me what to do or what not to do. So guess what I'm going to do? Exactly what you told me not to do. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. So store that away later, Trish. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, yeah. But they did it. Uh, the, the good thing that they did here was they had the conversation with Trish. They had the conversation with Malcolm. They were able to bring those two supporting characters in, set up where is Jessica now? What is she up to? And what does she want? What does she want? She just wants to forget and not do anything. Anything more about Jessica? She's cranky. No. She is very well, yeah. cranky. <laughs> And I'm getting Don't a little get frustrated with her. I I think I'm meant to be frustrated with her the way like Trish is frustrated with her. Um, I just want her to, you know, just get up and do something. <laughs> <laughs> so she's going to get pushed into it. And this is a this is a trope. It's it's not a completely original uh, character arc where you just the hero just wants to be left alone. Well, yes, I understand what you're saying about want her to just do something. But she was traumatized by Purple Man. She walked into Purple Man or walked out of Purple Man going, I was just controlled. I was told what to do, how to do, how to think, how to breathe, all of that stuff. No one's going to tell me to do that again. No one. And so it, it makes sense that she's kind of like, you know what? I am going to do what you tell me to do anyway. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And then when she gets her, her interest peaked or whatever, I don't agree with it, but I'd also don't agree with purple man, you know, controlling her like that. It's just very interesting because, you know, we were talking about where did iron fist end? Well, where did Jessica Jones end season one? Yes. All the purple man stuff. And then people are calling. You know, she's Mm -hmm. setting up to be this private detective kind of thing. 
and people are now calling her and and they're wanting to hire her and they've heard about her and almost and and you, I'm glad they did this because if that had been the end of the Jessica Jones story it's a better ending there's a, there's a little almost a glimmer of hope at the end of that episode at the end of that season to say okay she made it through and and now things are a little better for her but what we find out here is no not quite it's you know it, she's all this good that's coming her way she's actively avoiding it and trying to ignore it and yeah and so it's it's a it's a turn i wasn't expecting well she's become a celebrity superhero sorry jessica i'm using that word but <laughs> she's she's become a, a a character in the public eye for doing something heroic and that's not what she wants at all she just like you said she just wants to be left alone and now yeah cuz the expectation is hey you did this do it again yep and and like you were saying yeah she's just being told what to do after having defeated a guy who could mind control you to make you do what you didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. So that's Jessica and that's where she's at. And we leave her in that apartment with the stuff that made her gasp. (laughs) So moving on to Luke, Luke cage, Luke cage. He's getting out of jail. So we were worried about him because it ended with him going to jail. Well, he's out. Yay! It's 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 good. It's all done, and still moving forward. He mm-hmm. is. He is. They uh, Foggy has helped him uh, with his legal stuff, and the the uh, I'm not going to remember Hogarth's uh, Hogarth the the Benowitz the firm's name and Cho Hogarth Cho and Benowitz. I think so. You guys remembered a lot better than I did. So. I had Hogarth. I was. I'm happy about that. Um, but they're, you know, they they have a little bit of an interaction. So once again, we're getting the supporting characters in, finding spots for them to naturally fit. I don't feel like anyone was really shoehorned into this, except for maybe, maybe Trish at the beginning. That felt a little unnatural that she would just happen to be, to be there and have that conversation. But uh, Foggy has helped legally, and Hogarth has helped legally. They're gonna help. Luke with whatever he needs um, as he goes out and starts over. But Luke is not starting over. He's moving forward. Mm-hmm. In a very single-minded way, if you notice. <laughs> well, he, he wants some coffee is really what it comes down to. He's, he's thirsty, <laughs> needs the caffeine to stay awake. Um, you know, I, I figure he's someone who has just a little bit. Uh, you know, you're talking about Colleen having a milk bath, but He's going to use a little bit of milk, a little bit of sugar, just for some flavor. And yeah. Um, and and he knows where, you know, Claire makes really good coffee yeah. is what it comes yeah. down to. Apparently. But he made it through his prison <laughs> sentence without throwing a punch. That's significant. Which is very significant. You know, this speaks a lot to Luke Cage's character where he is a he is a big, imposing person. And, and famous, and too. And famous, and he can he could take down all of those guys. The restraint that he is showing is incredible. 
I love the I love the thing with the handcuffs where the guard where the oh, guard yeah. is like fumbling it, fumbling with it with the keys, and he's like, "Oh man!" And he just snaps them and then crunches <laughs> them and gives them back to him and says, "These are yours." As just to say, these chains that you locked me up with, I could have gotten out at any time. I chose not to. These are yours, not mine. Yeah, love he, that. He, he chose not to. He didn't throw a punch. He didn't break out. He he served the time that he needed to serve. To get it done, mm-hmm. get it over with, and get out and put it behind him. Mm-hmm. And I love Luke Cage. <laughs> He's so cool. He is one of my favorite. It's like him and Captain America. I would I would watch a movie with them in, in easy. Yeah. Yeah. He's like Captain America, but he's street level. Yeah. And, yeah. and that, that defines him. You know, I mean, that, mm-hmm. that street levelness defines his mission too. like Captain America. His mission really has a lot to do with war and peace, you know, but for Luke Cage, his mission is his neighborhood and the mm-hmm. place where he lives. And so he meets up with Claire. They have some coffee. And after they have coffee, uh, there's the update on Harlem and what's going on here. And Claire just wants to. Maybe have a little pillow talk, you know, like let's whisper sweet nothings and let's talk about how much we like each other. And let's talk our coffee talk. Yeah, five, five, coffee five, talk. Sorry, a little the clown. Neither round nor table. Discuss amongst yourselves. <laughs> the civil war was neither civil nor a war. Discuss. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was really sad. Go ahead. That says a lot about high school years, I think, for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. High school and college. Okay. So anyway, um, the, he gets the update on what's going on with uh, oh Shades and Ryan Shades. Yep. yep. And he, she's trying to convince him, don't do this. He's like, I just want to help people. And she's like, yeah, I just want you to take care of yourself. And that is Claire's mission. It's not to mm-hmm. keep the heroes from doing the hero stuff. Her mission is to take care of them and get them to take care of themselves. And I love when they kind of define it here because mm-hmm. her argument is not, you're going to get hurt. Her argument is not, you know, you need some me time. Her argument is you need to take care of yourself. And this is something that almost anyone who's in any kind of career where you are helping people. And this is teachers. This is police. This is, pastors this is um you know doctors and 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 nurses you can put yourself so much into it because of the the mission and the drive that you're doing something good for the world but you're doing it in such a way that's damaging yourself and absolutely superheroes are 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 part of that as well (laughs) um i mean just ask anyone who's tried to have a relationship with batman i mean the guy he just works all the time He, he he lies. He lies to his people and his family, not because he's having an affair. It's because he's he's trying to go work some more. He just can't stop the guy. Um, the no. worst. The worst problem about having a, a relationship with Batman is that you know when Batman tries to like get get out of something, you know his his significant other will come up to him and be like, "Well, why did you do this?" And he'll just say, "Because I'm Batman. I'm Batman." Whoops! And it, you know, I didn't mean to tell whoops. you that because. You don't know who I am, but I'm Batman. Oh, I did it again. Right. That's the worst part about a relationship with Batman. 
Bruce, what's going on in Batman? Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> they're okay. They're having this conversation, and who should arrive to give Luke Cage the call to action? But mm, Misty. Misty. Misty found him. How did she find him? He's the hero of Harlem. People saw him and they mm-hmm. recognize him. And so she goes for a walk and they talk about Mar- Mariah and they talk about shades and she guides their walk. So he comes to uh, and the conversation. So he comes to a car where Harlem youth was killed after getting a new job, getting money that actually helps like m- the mother of the kid who gets killed. It gets to move out of Harlem and, and kind of get into a better place. But um, the, the cost is eventually the, whoever does this is going to die. And the, they, this segment, this, this bit with Luke Cage, I think does the best job of saying, remember season one. Okay. So now this is season 1.5. This is very much after season one. We're going to talk about what Mariah and shades are doing. We're going to basically pick up our relationship with, uh, the night nurse, right where we left it off, you know, we're going to pick up a relationship with Misty Knight, right where we left it off. She missing even does that with, Oh, and remember the kid who died before, which actually happened in season one of Luke Cage. This is her brother, you know, it's connecting it back to that. And, and the other thing it does in some ways is to say, okay, so, this stuff we're talking about, yeah, it happened in season one. We're also, you know, want to make sure you remember this. And and don't worry, we're not going to go after Mariah and Shades in this season of Defenders. But we haven't forgotten them, you know. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know. Again, I haven't seen Luke Cage season two yet. And so I'm, I don't know what happens then. I, I But I do know that uh, there is a season two of Luke Cage and... <laughs> I do know that there are things that are going to happen in that. What they are, I don't know. But you know what this feels like? So in in comics, and Ben, correct me if I'm wrong, you're the comic guy. Okay. This feels like where they where they would talk about a thing and then they'd have a little asterisk. And down at the bottom of the yes. page they'd be like, in Blue Cage Book Three season whatever. Yeah. You know, read it on this, you know, that sort of thing. Luke Cage That's- issue number five. And then it would have um, some sort of cute little note like "Smile and Stan" because he was the editor at the time, or you know something like that. Right. Yeah. Yep. That's what that feels like. Totally. Um, and to <laughs> and to that note, that's really cool because that's not a thing you saw you see in the movies a whole bunch. You know, that's what's making this Defenders team up really something special. Yeah, well, uh, you do a little bit like in, say, Captain America Civil War. You know, you yeah. have you have them re- reference things from the past. Um, but this one very much is. We are continuing these four stories together here. They're mm-hmm. going to share these eight episodes mm-hmm. and then we're going to get them back into their own place. But. Yeah, they're going to they're going to share this. So he goes to confront a kid as being. um recruited to do this job of whatever it is that they're doing. And he's, he goes, finds the kid and tries to get the kid to accept help. The kid does not accept any help. Um, and he sends Luke away 
And what he ends up saying at the end of that is, look, because the guy, the kid plays coy. He, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. But I'm going to die if I tell you anything, you know. And and then he says, you know, the only way you can help me is to make me bulletproof too. And it says it's too late for heroes. And and then Luke Cage leaves. But before he leaves, he calls him son. He's like, son, I can help you. And that seems really out of whack for not out of whack. It seems out of character for Luke. Um, it could have also been a legit, you know, misstep for the character, right? Not just, not just the, the writers miswrote that, but like Luke Cage should not have used the word, but did because that's what he did. Um, um, would pops use that phrase? Because I, with some people, it, I mean, it doesn't matter whether or not they're closely related or not. I mean, if they see a young man, they will call him son. Yeah. Right. So what I'm saying is Luke's not an old man. So therefore he doesn't necessarily like, that's not as, I think that's where he lost the kid when he said, son, yeah. I can help you. Uh, and I think that's where he lost lost the. the, the I'm kid. not sure he ever had the kid, but it it's interesting. I mean, the whole the whole concept of calling someone son that's not your son is because either a you're used to calling younger men son because you have sons, or because you have a very close relationship with them, or you have the age gap between you and them. And you know, it's, it's interesting. I there's some older people at my my church and you know, I'm 43, you know, but they young man, you know, I mean, they, they, they'll, they'll call you that, you know, and, and it's, it's, it can be a term of endearment. It can be a term of saying, you know, this, you are a special person to me. And so I'm going to say, mm-hmm. Hey son, come here, you know, and, or it can be a, a term of derision where you're saying, you know, I'm calling you son, you know, because, you are beneath me. You are little, you are younger, you know, for any, any number of reasons to say I am above you. And so I'm calling you son. And, yeah. and that, um, especially when peers use it with each other, you know, it's, I, think yeah, that's what <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> peers. Um, cause I growing up in a mixed uh, race community, I, I mean, amongst my, uh, black classmates, especially the boys, I heard them refer to each other as son, even though they're the same age. Yeah. Mm. And, and so with, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think that's where, I think that's where Luke was trying on some errors that didn't fit. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I think you hit the nail on the head. And I would say it did fit. I don't think that he, I don't think it was a misstep other than this kid didn't respect him, you know, or this kid didn't want his help. I I think, yeah, I think Mm. the misstep was he was talking to this kid with the expectation that the kid respected him in a way that he could use that term, uh, in, in the, in a positive way. And the kid just did not respond to it. Well, because he didn't have the respect and the kid was scared. Yeah. What's interesting about that is when he walked up the stairs, everybody was like, who are you? And then and he took down his hoodie. You know who I am. Yeah, and they all just went, oh, 
Yeah. He's, he's up there. Up he's up there. <laughs> Please don't throw me out the window, sir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's the hero of Harlem and he's the one of all of them that wears the, the hero label best in this, in at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the other kind of interesting thing that you have is they're all coming from different places. Jessica Jones does not. She just wants to be left alone. Doesn't want to be a hero because she wants to be left alone. Um, Matt Murdock, we're going to talk in a minute, does not want to be a hero because he's put that away because he's afraid he's made things worse by doing it. Uh, Luke Cage doesn't want to be a hero, but he wants to help. You know, so he's going to do the things that heroes would do, but not because he wants to be a hero, just because he wants to help. And then you have uh, Danny, who is, it's not about being a hero. It's about tracking down the hand and stopping them. But he's embraced it. You know, it, I probably if any one of them was to, to want to use the label superhero, it, it would be him. But it's more for him. It's I'm the Iron Fist. This is my job. Take down the hand. And I'm going to do it. And I guess maybe for him, it's the hero part is, is it's a job. It's, it's my mission. I have to do it. I feel like Danny embraced it in a way for himself. Whereas Luke Cage embraced it for the sake of his neighborhood, for the sake of Harlem. Ooh, I like that. That's a good way of putting it. So you think Danny's selfish? In a way. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just trying to like, you know, he boil things down to the essence, right? I, I agree that Danny could be considered selfish. I mean, he's he. I think he's trying to right the wrong of leaving Kunlun, and he's you know he sees the hand as taking out the hand as the way to do that. I think that, and, and this is one of those screenwriting things that we talked about a little bit actually in Runaways when you had a a voiceover from the teacher like saying. This is the hero's journey. This is how it works. And this is um, the that was cloak and dagger. Oh, yeah. yeah not runaways cloak and dagger. Um, the uh, the book by Robert McGee story, which is one of the big, great screenwriting books. And, and I, I endorse it fully as far as read it, ingest it, and then kind of forget what you read and just do it, you know, um, and there's other ones I would recommend as well, screenwriting books and, and writing books in general. But um, he has a thing where you kind of find your values that your characters have. And then you find like you have different characters who um, embody or present the value. And then you have the the values. I think it's the opposite and the negation and the negation of the negation. And you kind of have the value and then other expressions of the value in different ways. And this is where you have the, the hero thing. You have the value and, and Luke would be the value. He is the one who is a hero to help other people. And then you have Danny, like you said, Samantha, and this, this is what kind of solidified this for me was uh, Danny is a hero because he has to be a hero because that's what he is. You know, it's, he's doing it because he has to. Now he may enjoy helping people, but he's not a hero to help people. He's a hero because it's his job. He has to do it. And then you and have it comes with a really cool title. Yeah, that too. <laughs> to, yeah. If you're the I'm iron the, fist, that's, that's a pretty cool title. Um, oh, 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 not just the iron fist, the immortal iron. Right. Fist. Yep. Yep. And then you have Which, uh, Matt who 
he wants to be a hero, but is making himself not do it because not being a hero is more helpful. And then you have Jessica Jones is just like, ain't doing it. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I heard the call and the call came too early. I still want to drink. Just leave me alone. <laughs> I, I let it go to voicemail. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's where we can set that interpretation for right now. Um, I, uh, earlier today I rewatched this episode and then I just let the episodes play as I was going about my business in the background and, there are other things I want to say. But, well, but this is the starting um, point. That's that's the thing. Yeah. Is this is a starting point. They better change from here. Yeah, but was Matt denying um, the hero thing because of what you said, or was he denying it because others got hurt because he was Daredevil? Right. That's he. Yeah. Things got worse because he was Daredevil. And yeah. so he doesn't want to do it because things got worse. People got hurt people he loved were put in the line of fire and the the city's better off without him yeah i would disagree maybe a little bit yeah yeah well there it is there's there's a thing that got worse for a character that he is tied to so let's move to matt then uh so matt is practicing law and he's still a good lawyer and He's able to latch on to, you know, he's cross-examining and someone says, you know, something about the information about our defective product was made public. And he's like, boom, wait, wait, wait. And he latches onto that. He uses that. He wins $11 million for this kid who has been harmed. And he has a good conversation with the kid who is now in a wheelchair. And he's like, you are at mile one of the marathon. Um, don't let the people make you put a smile on your face because they expect you to it's, smile on your face. Doesn't matter. Getting through the marathon. That's what matters. And nobody can give you your life back. You got to take it back. And then Karen comes. She wants a statement. She also wants lunch. She doesn't want coffee, just lunch. And so they have lunch and she tries to encourage him and it doesn't really work too much. And he goes to confession and says he lied to Karen about missing being daredevil um, and then the, the priest says, well, is your heart with that life? Is that why you're missing it? Or is your heart with Electra? And he doesn't want to move on from the feelings that he has in the, in the aftermath of losing Electra. And, and then he goes back to his apartment. <laughs> and so we'll stop there because the, the apartment's important, but, uh, that's part of the the end of the episode i'm gonna say this right now say it i think the kid i think the kid he helped turns out to be stilt man okay hmm that's a villain this, but yeah. wouldn't that be interesting we've seen the stilts in uh in melvin's place yeah yeah and and i'm gonna say this right now this is a world where people can get robot legs to walk with and, and stuff, but That's true. and he's got eleven million dollars to play with. He could also buy a fancy pair of stilts. Yeah, yeah, for less than eleven million, I'm guessing. And Melvin, I, I love. Well, go ahead. I was gonna say Melvin may even give them to him. Yeah, maybe. Um, but in this scene, I really love this scene because it's it's Matt talking really to himself as a kid. 
Mm-hmm. And at yep. the same time, this kid is hearing advice from a future uh, form of himself because Matt has Matt too. He was seriously injured as a kid and he learned how to deal with that. Um, and he knows exactly where the road is going to lead for this kid. And it, it really touched my heart. So again, they bring in a supporting cast member and that is Karen and she's still working for the newspaper. She's writing articles and she's writing an article about, about Matt. And it's nice. It's nice to see them. They still have the friendship. Yeah, they still have a friendship, but from what I got from this conversation is this is the first time they've seen each other in a really, really long time. Yes. But they don't hate each other. She's she's happy. He's doing what he loves. He's just not doing the other thing that he loves as well. But he's practicing law. He's helping people that way. And that's not too shabby. Mm-mm. You know, he's the only one who really has like an adult job. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so Luke is just hanging out at Clara's house and kind of like couch surfing, right? She's the one who has the job. She pays for his apartment or pays for his place to live. And it's all her apartment. Danny's just rich, right? So he doesn't necessarily have to figure out how to, you know, put food on the table, that sort of stuff. Jessica Jones is, you know, drinking herself into the slumber. So She's Matt, freelance, but not accepting any of the freelance jobs. Right, right. <laughs> so, so Luke, is, or not Luke, Matt is the one who actually has, like, a job. <laughs> like, skin in the game. So if, if something were to go bad, he's, you know, he could lose all of his clients and all of the, 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 the law firm he's trying to build. Well, Technically, they both have adult jobs because what Jessica's doing is owning her own business and running her own business as a one-man team. Matt's doing running. the same thing. But the difference is, is that Matt's accepting the job and yeah. she's not. She's avoiding it right now. But the other interesting thing is, in the MCU anyway, uh, Daredevil and now Spider-Man are kind of anomalies in that you have them actually acting as a superhero and keeping an active uh, secret identity. And so you have others who are keeping their powers secret, but it's not like an act of like, I, I dress up to go be a superhero and I don't want anyone to know who I am. So you cloak and dagger they're they're using their powers and they're kind of using it in secret, but they're not doing really the secret. There's no masks. There's no masks on up. And, and and Iron Man, uh, you know, he's just out there and Luke Cage, Jessica Jones. I heard somewhere and, that he was Iron Man. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And, and so you have all of these kind of superheroes in the MCU who are not doing their traditional superhero thing that they did in the comics for decades and decades of just keeping it secret. And they're just all out there. And, and that's actually, if they do bring the Fantastic Four into the MCU, uh, it's going to be a little bit less special for the fantastic four, because that's one of the things early on for the fantastic four that made them special was their secret identity and their superhero identity was known to the public. Like everyone knew about it. Well, in the MCU, people talk about Steve Rogers as Steve Rogers and they, you know, Iron Man, they know who Iron Man is Mm -hmm. and black widow even now, like she's, She's outed. She's not a very good spy right now. Why? Because 
she went before Congress and said, hey, I'm a spy and I did this thing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. So it's, it's it, kind of an anomaly. And it's kind of fun to see uh, Daredevil when he was being Daredevil and having the, the mask and and hiding his secret identity from his friends and, and all that. Would you clump Ant-Man into that too? Um, I, I'm having a hard time because I think Scott Lang would just tell anybody. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't think so because he's trying to keep it secret because he doesn't want the FBI to find out because he wants to get off, off of house arrest, <laughs> I guess. But um, I don't think he's done enough as Ant-Man where he's not going out there and being Ant-Man out there for the world in the same way that Daredevil and Spider-Man have. He's true. Ant-Man is a bit of an anti-hero. Ha ha ha. A little bit. Cause <laughs> he started out as, as a thief and then he kind of jumped over to hero, but he wasn't entirely a, well, technically he was a thief, but he did, he was helping people by thieving for that company and getting all this money out for people. And he's a lot like Luke Cage in that he's just trying to, I want to do my time, just get done with this and, and then be done with it. And I don't want to make Mm -hmm. any waves. Yeah. Well, that's for the sake of his own daughter. Yeah. And Luke Cage was a lot more successful. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, hold on. Ant-Man is Robin Hood. There you go. Yeah. Lolly. <laughs> so, anything else about Matt and Daredevil and um, a lot of on? red lighting? Yep, yep. And then the dark lighting. I mean, that's where again the tone of each of these different scenes. Matt Murdock is Daredevil. Daredevil series was part crime drama and part noir, and. Mm-hmm. And had like the the flashing neon lights outside of his uh, his his apartment and 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 that kind of thing and so they really embrace it for some of the scenes here, especially the the darkness of the confession booth. Like that's yeah. very very noir with the sharp shadows and the, the dark darks and and that. So you that, know what I wish we had seen, even though I know we're not probably not going to see it. I wish we had seen the actual conversation between, like, the full conversation between Matt and Karen when he admitted that he was Daredevil. <laughs> we don't get to see that. But um, think about it. How does, I mean, it's not like Karen's going to be, I don't know, I don't think there's much to that. It would be interesting to see for sure, but there's not a lot to that scene that you can't guess. Yeah, a lot of awkwardness and silence, and yeah, we'll 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 uh, you know we we will talk about this, and you know give ourselves a little bit of time, and we'll talk about yeah. it. And months later, they still have not talked. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Ripley now. Ripley. Um, yeah, Ripley. Uh, she's the main villain of the series, and. Well, Sigourney Weaver. She's not called Ripley. I call her Ripley in my notes. Okay. Because I couldn't remember that her I, name was Alexandra. So. <laughs> I asked if it was Dana or Zul. <laughs> there is no Dana. There is Only no Dana. Zool. Only Zul. Uh, yeah, I mean, do we know that she's bad? We do. We And if we don't from her first scene, we're going to find out very soon because she's 
she's introduced going in for a doctor's appointment with a very dramatic lean against the wall. And, you know, she's obviously there's bad stuff going on. The results from her tests have been conclusive. She's dying. There's nothing they can do. And we don't know all the details behind that right now, but we do know that she likes to feed the birds tuppence. <laughs> so she's feeding the birds in the park and she's visited by Gao and they have a mysterious plan that is going to be in two months. It's going to be ready to roll, but they don't have that kind of time anymore. And they wax eloquent about New York city and Manhattan and central park and how, you know, is bought for cheap and uh, should have, you know, <laughs> the, the the American colonists overpaid for it <laughs> for their twenty four bucks or whatever. But um, and then they went over to a coffee place just down the road a little bit called Central Perk, and they had uh, coffee with Monica and Chandler and Phoebe and Joey and Ross and Rachel. No, because okay. I would have turned it off right away if that's what happened. <laughs> what does happen, and it's interesting, you know, this this scene here is her talking to Gao and, and saying, hey, we have to do this. Our mysterious plan. Can't wait two months. We need to do it now. And Gao says, OK. And then we have another scene where she, <laughs> she's she's just sitting there and Gao comes to her to talk more. And so they have talk number two. And Gao's like, hey, OK, we're going to do it. And then is where the thing happens, the big thing that affects everyone at the same time that pulls all these strands together. We don't see the characters together yet. But this is like an inciting incident, right? This, this is, is like it. The thing. This is the thing. What I found really interesting about the scenes with Gao and Alexandria, um, in every season that we've seen Gao before, we saw her in Iron Fist, we saw her in Daredevil, right? Mm-hmm. She has commanded that room. Mm-hmm. You get the sense that she is someone to be reckoned with. Doesn't do a lot of fighting, but you can tell that she commands that that space. Alexandria shuts her down so fast. Alexandria is the alpha dog in that relationship. Absolutely. And, and it's that's all a- done with acting. It's, I mean, and just, you know, yeah, I'm sorry I interrupted you, but no, yeah, it's all, it's all done with acting. Right. Yeah. Right. It's, I mean, it's, it's not it's, in the script. Oh, well, I don't know if it's not in the script. You got to think that it's got to have some, you know, the, the words necessarily aren't there, but I think that there are, um, the one line where she goes and continue feeding the birds, like not please, not could you do this for me? Cause I'm really tired. Cause I'm, I'm, I've got cancer or whatever it is. It's you will do this. Now this job is so benign to me that I'm going to have you do it. It's you don't have a choice. Just do it. And also change our plans. These big plans we've been planning for however long we've been planning. We're changing it now. Why? Cause I say so. And it's, it, it is in the script. But it's in the script as subtext. You know, uh-huh. the words they're saying are revealing the relationship that they have. And it's good. It's good writing. Mm-hmm. It's very good writing. I, I love this so much. I mean, because you're you're I mean, let's just jump to it. Uh, 
Alexandra Sigourney Weaver plays the villain. And, oh gosh, I love this so much because it's your, your superhero. I mean, your superhero story is only as good as your villain, truly. And she, she's just so, oh, she, I mean, it's, it's Sigourney Weaver. She's like a, a queen in the acting world. Because uh, I, I was well, thinking about uh, when she did an interview with Oprah Winfrey on Oprah's talk show about 20 years ago. And even Oprah was saying, well, when you walked into the room, I immediately straightened my posture. And she, Sigourney Weaver naturally commands attention. And I, that's what we really need from this character. And she does it superbly. Well, she's Sigourney Weaver. She's, yeah. she's genre royalty. We can talk about her. She's she has been around. We know Sigourney Weaver. We know who she is. She commands that presence. She has a recognizable face, recognizable name. She brings the gravitas to this character. I mean, she is she's a nerd royalty. She she is a power to be reckoned with. And I th- I'd say arguably she's the biggest name in the Netflix Marvel realm. Mm. Yes. I think there's uh, bigger names in the movies, but not from a genre, not from a genre point of view. Maybe. I mean, you, you get in the movies, you get your Glenn Close, you get your Robert oh, Redford, you know, I mean, you're, you're getting huge, big, classical acting names. And Sigourney kind of straddles the line. I mean, she she's done the drama was it she's done the comedies she's done the the genre stuff you know i mean the, the two big genre ones are are uh, ghostbusters and then ripley and and ripley is what i think propels her as as uh sci-fi or geek royalty or whatever you however you want to define it um but because you know she was she was ripley in alien where she was kind of the stealth lead uh everyone thought that uh, what's his name? Tom Skerritt was actually the lead because he was the big Captain Hero guy, but she's the one who is the real hero and the, who actually makes it through the whole movie. <laughs> uh, but then she does James Cameron's Aliens, where she's the tough hero. You know, she's the one who she doesn't win just by wit, but she actually fights the alien queen. You know, fist to fist, basically. And so that movie then says, it doesn't just say, hey, we've got a, a, a female lead in this big, giant blockbuster sci-fi movie. She's We're elevating her in this one. Now, Alien 3, Resurrection, they have their own things. The, you know, Resurrection, Sigourney Weaver had a lot of uh, input in as well. But that puts her into this realm of if you are into sci-fi stuff, you probably know her name. You probably know who she is. And so to bring her into Defenders as the the big bad, you probably know who she is. And so she is able to have your meta knowledge where you don't just know her as, oh, she's a good actor, you know. <laughs> and and the same kind of thing happened with Robert Redford. You know, he's he's this politician in in uh in Winter Soldier, and he but he, all the president's men and sneakers and different movies like that, where um, 
it's not outside the realm of possibility for him to be who you think he is at the beginning of the movie be, mm-hmm. as the natural progression of those other characters he played uh, with Sigourney in this it's against type, you know, and she has always had to work against a, a kind of um, uh, typecasting where people see her as a more severe presence and and not a light presence and so she did some comedy movies to try and get some more you know i can do light too you know i'm not just heavy all the time but um you bring her in here and yeah she does command the room even though she starts this out in a place of weakness that's the other interesting thing is alexandra starts out in a doctor's office and she's being given orders she's being told um you know, you need to strip down, take off all your jewelry because we're going to go into a test and you need to follow what we say. But then by the end of that, she's like, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but hmm, yeah, I'm not going to let it happen. She's also, this character is also comparable to um, Anthony Hopkins as Odin. And I, I realize that Odin is, is considered to be a hero type character, but you get to Thor Ragnarok and you find out that his history has not been perfect he's not always been the hero yeah yeah so it's very interesting to consider so here's what happens then this is what brings everyone together and that's the earthquake which is apparently what gal was talking about saying are you sure you want to do this it's all in place it's happening and so matt hears animals Here's the birds, here's the dogs, and they all start barking and tweeting and blah, 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 which is real. I mean, in in nature, animals detect earthquake better and faster than humans do. And they get on their social media platform of choice and and tweet about it. it, (laughs) Uh, Jessica feels that while she's in the apartment where she was investigating this John guy. Danny feels it as they land on the building and that's bad news. And then Luke cage, he actually saves a woman um, from a falling light post at the place where the, the guy had died in the car. Uh, Meanwhile, Ripley Alexandra is with Electra and, and we see Electra's face for the first time. And, and she says, Hey, it's just a city. You'll get used to watching them fall. Why? We don't know because that's bad. And how many cities have she seen fall? Well, we'll, we'll find out, I guess. But um, what it comes down to with Matt, Jessica, Danny, and Luke, people need help. And we end with Matt. We started with Danny, which is appropriate in some ways because he was the last Netflix series that we saw. And we're just going to continue from there. But we end with Matt, which I feel like is appropriate because he's the first Netflix person that we started with. Uh, He was the first Netflix series. And this is the thing. It's going to bring them all together. Yeah. Right? Sort of. So We'll find out. Inciting incident. We'll find out. But it's definitely the inciting incident because this is the bad guy's plan being set in motion or the timeline being pushed up and people need help out there. Why we can't just stay in, in our apartments. 
not do anything, Matt, with great power comes great responsibility. It's a it's a good first series, first episode of the series. It it says, by the way, this is where they all were, this is where they all are now, and this is the path they're going to be on. I have to feel like all four of those people specific to the the leads have a path that they're going that they're walking down. So that's an interesting thing. Yeah, I feel like it's a a good opener. It introduces the characters. It's mm-hmm. by the numbers a little bit. You know, as far as, hey, let's just catch up with everyone and then not have them get together. (laughs) That's one complaint that uh, Fantastic Four has returned to Marvel Comics with Fantastic Four issue number one, which not going to lie. I almost cried reading it. Um, Really? Yep. Yep. Lump in the throat. It was a beautiful moment. Is it good? It's fairly good. But. By the end, they're still not back together as the Fantastic Four. <laughs> is it is it worth a comicsology pickup, or should I wait until like the end, like they collect them all? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I got to uh, our local comic shop was selling it for two bucks. It's a six dollar cover price, but for the regular cover, they were selling it for two bucks, and it's like, yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pick it up, give it a read. People are saying how horrible it is, and. It's not. I'm not lying. I mean, I, I had a lump in my throat at one point, and I was just like, oh my goodness, this is happening right now. This thing, literally, the thing is is doing something that, oh, I can't believe it's happening. So a thing is doing a thing? He is. And I'm not wearing the t-shirt to the thing. No, no. But if I may just say, I'm just going to throw it out there. The lump in my throat is proof positive that no, I am not anti-romance and no, I am not anti-relationship and no, I am not anti-emotion. And dear listener, if you want to understand why Ben is making such a big deal about this, go back and listen to the old episodes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've been accused of having no heart and no romance by Daniel Butcher. Uh, but it's not true. It's not true at all. None <laughs> that of was one of those little asterisks. And then I had the comment <laughs> down at the bottom. Yep. Smiling Stan. Smiling Stan. Smiling Stu. That's the- I think that's our episode. So that's a good episode. Any other, any other thoughts? If not, I'm just going to say, Hey, thank you for listening. Thank you for being patient as we move forward. And go into our Defenders coverage now. We truly, truly appreciate you listening and appreciate the the understanding and patience that people have expressed to us. We've had people say, hey, when are you going to get to this stuff? Uh, but we've also had people say, hey, we understand life is life and it happens. Because if it doesn't happen, then you're not alive. And no one actually said that thing at all. But I'm saying it right now as... Uh, paraphrase i guess of what people have said to us so thank well, you we've said it amongst ourselves too well that's yeah we say it a lot amongst yeah. ourselves so that's it then um we're going to talk about some things after the credits but for now you know i i'm feeling tired and when i feel tired i just i lose my words and and my eyes start to droop and my kids make fun of me 
Well, they call me Foggy. Thanks once more for listening. You've heard us. Now we'd love to hear from you. Just go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback to contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling one seventy seven fifty five level 7 You can also join the conversation by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash welcometolevel7, or by following us on Twitter, where we are level7pod. Welcome to Level 7 is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to help you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh at our clean comedy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, Godspeed. All right, Stuart. So Samantha had to leave us, but we are going mm-hmm. to talk about the divine pairing, the cloak and dagger divine pairing. This is a email that we got from uh, analyst Condor. So not agent, but analyst. And uh, uh, they're, they're on floor seven. <laughs> I will just say that this is very spoiler. Uh, so if you have not watched cloak and dagger to the end, then you probably don't want to listen to this. Um, so here we go. This is regarding Agent 084's theory on the divine pairing. In the course of my reading duties, I submit this transcript of a memo by asset Chris 24601 says, I think Evita did get it wrong and O'Reilly was the dying half. The loophole was that, as Tandy said, just before they drained out of the dark force energy that it was welling up. Uh, Ty and Tandy are basically two halves of one person in the same way that you need both yin and yang to have a complete person. It is also worth noting the shoulder markings that each sacrifice had in all the stories. It's why Evita was so certain Ty would die because Ty got marked on the left shoulder. Then just before the end, Tandy got marked on her right shoulder, yang to his yin. But Detective O'Reilly had a mark on both shoulders the entire time before either of them two white stripes on her jacket's shoulders. Likewise, her life story, her life slash story got intertwined with both Tandy, the first investigation and Ty taking down Connors over the course of the series. We also followed her throughout last episode's recounting of the hero's journey as she went through her own dark night of the soul. O'Reilly was the other half of the pairing that died just before Ty slash Tandy half fixed it all. Now she's some sort of undead monster. I'm pretty sure O'Reilly is dead and that just the darkness wearing and just darkness is wearing her skin, which also fits with her being shown in the previous episode at the point when the priest explains that some people who go through the hero's journey becomes villains. What makes it more interesting is that Ty slash Tandy think they've pulled off a screw destiny. So the reveal that O'Reilly is some sort of revenant opposite number to them, perhaps needing to kill both of them so it can be reborn will be the exact sort of setback for them. You'd expect and also provides a solid way to pull Evita and the voodoo elements back into the narrative next season. And then this is that's end quote. And then um, agent Condor or analyst Condor says, I would recommend further study on the 084 code named mayhem. And I'm continuing study on mayhem by reading the cloak and dagger Series two, I finally have filled the holes in that collection and I'm able to read uh, in which this is the story arc that introduces Mayhem to the comics. So I'll know more about that later. But um, yeah, the whole shoulder markings thing, I hadn't thought about that. That that does. It adds some credence to the idea that Mayhem 
or that, that O'Reilly is another half of the divine pairing. Cause I would have been just willing to dismiss it because I like the idea of them not just sacrificing each other, but both working together. And that's what causes them to be able to say, ha destiny not happening. But I don't know. It's going to be an interesting to see where that series two, season two of that series happens and how it happens and what happens in it. No matter what though, the divine pairing pattern breaks down in both situations. Mm-hmm. So in this situation where where O'Reilly is the other half of the di- divine pairing, that breaks things down if one half of the divine pairing is two people and then the other half is one person, that's not a pairing. That's not right. I mean, the definition of pairing is there's two. It's a pair. It's two. Mm-hmm. Um so there's that unless it's Ty and O'Reilly. But then that doesn't explain the kind of intuitive way that Evita sees Tandy as being part of things. So season well, two and, will hopefully answer some questions for us. Right. And and it to be fair, it makes sense that, to have the divine pairing be the people who's in your title. Yes. It's not yeah. called Mayhem and Cloak and Dagger, or, you know, yeah. not called O'Reilly or that one girl from – may or may not have been in Luke Cage season two. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of like, it should be <coughs> cloak and dagger. Yeah. The divine pairing. Yeah. Well, yes. So maybe this is all true. Maybe the other things are true. Uh, I think season two just needs to explain it to us. And, mm-hmm. but the, the whole arm stripe thing, you know, that, it's true. It's right there on her jacket. So the other thing we want to talk about was uh, James Gunn, and that is that Disney is kind of doubling down and saying, no, James Gunn is not yeah. coming back to direct Guardians 3, but they are retaining the script to Guardians 3. Have we have we really haven't mentioned this James Gunn thing a whole lot, uh, or have we? We've talked about it in broad strokes. We haven't gone into nitty gritty conversation about it. And and part of it was just to kind of see how it plays out. And part of it was because it's just so hot button, but mm-hmm. I just, I, I have issues with what has happened and the way that it's happened. Um, I have issues with James Gunn and what he was, the jokes he was saying already before this was a thing, just because I knew, where he was coming from, but it feels like Disney should have known where he was coming from. It's not a surprise. None of this is a surprise to them. It's just, Oh, it was brought into the public. And I mean, when I was in school, the first thing I did was I searched for my teachers online and I found some that, you know, had IMDB credits and I found their Twitter pages and I found their, you know, Facebook pages or whatever. Um, I don't do that now, but I'm also not that interested in people. If if I got hired by Disney, you know, the first thing they do was look at my Facebook feed. Yeah, totally. And so now they may not go back 10 years. You know, let's be honest. I'm not going to go back 10 years, but it wasn't 10 years. Actually, it's not 10 years right now. It's more like eight. And when he was first getting hired to do Guardians of the Galaxy, it was that three. would have been about 10. Yeah, that's I mean, true. it was it was not 
that long ago for them when he they hired him. They hired him knowing what they were getting, which was a very edgy, a very um, crude uh, humor guy. I mean, they, they knew what they were getting, but they were also getting mm-hmm. someone who had heart in that edge and had heart in that crudeness. And I will never defend the things he was saying, but I will defend the things he was saying with Guardians of the Galaxy. Not all of the things, but but a lot of them. I, the, the father relationship in, in Guardians 2, that bugged me. It irritated me because Yondu was abusive to uh, to Star-Lord. You know, it, it was an abusive relationship, no doubt. But here's the thing that people aren't talking about when they're talking about themes. They're definitely Guardians of the Galaxy is about being better, becoming better, and overcoming your past to be a better person than what your past should create. But the other thing is hurt people hurt people. And, you know, it's over and over again in Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's kind of part of Guardians of the Galaxy is to overcome and stop the cycle. And I would throw out there that a lot of, I mean, comedy comes from a place of hurt a a lot Mm -hmm. of times. And, and I'm not calling what James Gunn said comedy. It's not, I mean, some of the jokes he was making, they're just awful. But what I see in his creative process, and, and this is just me seeing it. I don't know if this is true, but there's, there was real growth there and there's no room for growth or grace in our current society. There's no yes. room for forgiveness and growth and grace in what we have. And this is something I think, I can't remember if I mentioned this on welcome level seven or if this was on strangers and aliens, but um, the, the difference for James Gunn is he's going to land on his feet, you know? Yeah, sure. He's maybe not going to make another Disney movie ever. Okay. The guy has a lot of money and the guy has a lot of opportunity ahead of him. And they're going to, there's going to, whoever hires him is going to be able to say, yeah, we saw it. We saw through it. And we're, you know, we don't we don't agree with what he did in the past, but we do know who he is now and we're going to hire him to make this DC movie or to make the Star Trek movie or whatever it ends up being. He's going to land on his feet. But uh, what society and social media does allows for people like him in positions of uh, power to survive this kind of thing. Joe Schmo on the street who tweets something stupid once, but then gets called out on it and loses his job, loses his livelihood. I mean, there is no grace, no growth, no forgiveness, no opportunity to say, you know what? I thought it was okay. And I was wrong. Well, that's what James Gunn got to say, you know, and sure Disney isn't renewing his directing contract, but um, it's sad to me how many lives just get ruined because of one stupid thing that they said that can't go away or even something that they are accused of saying or doing that becomes the first Google search that Mm -hmm. comes up when you are searching your teacher or searching a potential job applicant. It's, Mm -hmm. it's I mean, it's, you know, this might turn into the little bit of the after school special, but you know, 
be careful what you post online. That's don't the truth too. Yeah. Don't post something stupid. I remember when Twitter first started, people were like, we should be able to save our tweets. And I was like, that's a bad idea, people. Because it used to just kind of go off into the ether, right? And you didn't have a catalog of everything. Now, shortly after it started, you know, they got the Library of Congress involved and it's now this sort of record, that sort of thing. Um, but you shouldn't save your tweets. Well, and you have archive.org that, right. um, that has the Wayback Machine where they mm-hmm. crawl the internet, take snapshots of every website they come across. And mm-hmm. if they take a snapshot of your website at the right moment or wrong time, you know, mm-hmm. it's never going to go away. So I love the Wayback Machine, by the way. I, I think do that's too. Great. I found uh, I found some lost podcast episodes from before any of my podcasts that are actually running right now. Um, I thought that it was just a lost recording that I'd never find again, and so I gave up. But then I went to the Wayback Machine and was able to get uh, two or three of the eight episodes that we put out in that early early podcast that we did. It was fantastic. It was, and so we. I think it was episode. Th- uh, 250 of strangers and aliens that we actually like posted out like the best of the best segments of that early podcast that we did. Cause mm. my, one of the co-hosts on strangers and aliens was doing that podcast with me and mm. yeah, yeah, it's great. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, so, so that is a, that is a, an example of positive, but you know, this James Gunn thing is an example of negative. So don't put anything on the internet that you wouldn't say to your mom. <laughs> and if you say that stuff to your mom, I don't know what. That's to just say. a different relationship than, than <laughs> a lot of people. I, so I got nothing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so be mindful of that. So I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in Disney that they didn't take the opportunity uh, to treat him like a human being. But at the same time, I'm understanding because it's a business decision that they're making well, that they they can't afford to say, eh, it's okay. Because it's going to, it's going to come back and bite them. They, I I feel like they are definitely getting pressure from a certain very vocal part of the population right now. Um, And I think a lot of businesses are feeling that pressure, not just Disney. Uh, There's lots of, it's very polarized right now. The world in which we live in, like you said, has no grace, you know, for something like that. But the other thing I would say is, you you brought up the good point about the vocal segment, but the vocal segments that are rising up, it's not one side or another side. It's kind of all the sides. They just become vocal. And once, you know, it doesn't matter who it is that's doing it. It's happening. And then, mm-hmm. and how do we respond? We cave. And sometimes that's the right decision because sometimes the vocal minority is actually talking about something that's worth saying and worth doing. And sometimes it's, it's not. And yeah, that's, that's where I fall. My whole thing is I I would want it to be, I don't want to get into a big political debate, but I'd want it to be even on all the sides. So if, James Gunn said and did those things, fine, fire him. If someone else said and did those things, you should probably fire that person too. 
But at the same time, then you're going to fire everybody. So I guess I don't yeah. know where to draw that. I mean, it's a, it's a hard line to, you know, we're, we are living in the social age. We're living in this age where um, it's almost like a really bad sci-fi television show, right? Where everybody gets to decide your fate. You know, kind of immediately. Well, the that Orville did the Orville. episode. Yeah, I was gonna say that was an Orville episode. Yeah, so it's this really like bizarre situation that I don't know that we necessarily know how to navigate very well. All right. Well, it's time for us to find that uh, stool so we can get off our high horse and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shut this episode down. So, uh, thanks, Stuart. Talk to you later, man. See ya.